right, welcome everyone to the Two Saints podcast show with myself, Mark C, and my co-host, Mark H. Hi, Mark, how you doing? Yeah, yeah, it's been an interesting week, mate. Obviously, you know, buoyed by what happened last night. Absolutely. You know, we're recording this. Unfortunately, people, you won't get the review of the cup game till next nope. week. You know, we'll have to keep some stuff in reserve. So <laughs> just basically because of recordings and schedulings and things that we've we've been doing on top of that. Uh, we'll give you the review of the Wolves Cup game next week. Absolutely. Uh, I hope everybody is, you know, keeping well, looking after each other. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to today's show. So hopefully it'll be an interesting one for everybody. Yeah, we've got plenty of content, plenty of stuff to get through. And just to remind you of the ways to access the show. So you can access the Two Saints podcast show via Facebook, also via our YouTube channel, the Two Saints podcast show. That's on YouTube. We've also got an email address you can contact us on, which is the Two Saints podcast show at outlook.com. You can email us there for any thoughts on the podcast or the radio broadcast version of the show that we do every Thursday. Um, any sort of feedback you want to give us, positive or negative, let us know if you're enjoying what we put out and anything you'd like to include in future shows. Can't really do the show without your input. And we like an audience, so please get involved in that if you can. And those are the ways to contact us. So coming up in the first half of today's pod for you, we have the two Saints review of Newcastle United 3, Saints 2, Saints Club News and Saints in the Press. So we'll crack on with the two Saints review of Newcastle United 3, Saints 2, Mark. So Saints lose dramatic clash to Newcastle. Ralph Hasenhutl, not good enough, slaughtered the players and fair play to him, can't really blame him. And Nathan Redmond rues mistakes and misfortune. Yeah, he probably rues the amount of chances he gets per game and misses as well. But anyway, over you, Mark. Saints lose dramatic clash to Newcastle. Was it was it dramatic? I, I don't well, know. The way we can see it, 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 it seemed like it was that dramatic to me. I mean, it just seemed like a, you know, all, all I would say, Mark, is that you know, Newcastle go in there, you know, a two goal lead, and again we're back to pushing up boulders up hills. I mean. The record at Newcastle isn't great. I think I've seen two wins there in about, well, 25 years, something yeah. like that. Um, and, you know, so the, so our win, our win ratio isn't tremendous there. I think what's more disappointing from my point of view was that it was only Newcastle's second win in se- something yep. like 17 competitive fixtures um, yep. in the league this I, th- I think it was in the league it might have been in the cup and the league I'm not I'm not yeah, altogether yeah. sure but I definitely heard only their second win in 17 so just just thinking about that um, but to be honest with you I have no complaints about it I, mean, I, I felt Newcastle were well worth their victory yeah. I think the thing is, is Melamino scores goes 2-1. The thing was, Newcastle went 3-1 up then. And even though they were, you know, we, we had the James Ward-Price free kick and we scored, you know, they, they went down to nine men. But really, at the end of the day, you know, you're looking at the last, what, 18 minutes, 20 minutes, if you include out of time, they're down to nine men, you know, Two players sent off. Uh, Jeff Hendrick for, a, I think it was set two yellow cards, so second pickable offence. 
I can't remember the other bloke that went off, but uh, he went off injured because Newcastle used all their subs. Yes, sir. So, so effectively, they've gone down the name, man. But the, <laughs> I don't know what it is. Um, it, it was what we had them hemmed in in the last third, in their own third of the pitch for those last 20 minutes. And yet we were a void of any ideas on how to break them down. And, and we looked even poor, dare I say poor. You, you, have to, you have to call it as you see it. And, and oh, we were poor and a void of any ideas. I do think, I do think at times James Ward-Price was trying to raise the tempo Yep. In the in the last twenty minutes, but well, he was the only one trying to actually do anything and move he, forward with it. To be fair, he was he wasn't able to drag the rest of the team with him. I mean, the rest the rest of the team looked like they were in a a malaise. To be honest with you, um, because nobody you, you would have sat there and thought to yourself, three two, you know, they're minus two man, you know, great opportunity here. Even just to take a point, Mark. I mean, a yep. point, a point in the league would have stopped the run. Well, you know? the thing is, it was I, described. I, I, it was described as a dramatic game, and the only thing dramatic was our first half capitulation and the fact we couldn't beat nine men. That was what was dramatic about it. It certainly wasn't a dramatic clash, but our defending was dramatic in the fact it was dramatically poor. <laughs> and our our, final, our playing the final third in the, in the second half and never down nine men was just as dramatically poor to be fair. See, and me. it's interesting because James Ward Prowse was about the only player trying to drive it forward, as you say. Yeah. But I noticed on social media he actually came in for criticism from fans who were saying things like, "Our oh, Ward Prowse is always the worst defender when it comes to passing the ball back." And I'm sat there going, "Are you for real? When has he ever been the biggest culprit of passing the ball back? <laughs> really? What James Ward Prowse? Oh, okay. really?" <laughs> The driving force in the team who creates more than anybody and tries to drag the team forward against nine men has come in for criticism for passing the ball back too often. Really? Honestly? Oh, come on. I mean, that that is not a criticism of James for me. No way. It's the reverse for me. But, but But having said that, Mark, if it did have a criticism and you were the criticism about you know, criticise about Saturday if he was to come in for any personal criticism. Yep. And this is more of a general thing as well as, you know, as a captain, he's not the biggest talker on the pitch. Yep. But then but then that's not necessarily an issue for me. I just think at the end of the day, on Saturday, he was trying to drive us forward. But you have to have a collective, you know, it has to involve other players getting involved. The I, thing is, to be honest with you, the rest of the other nine outfield players didn't look that in. The rest. But of, the thing is, he might not be the biggest talker, but when you smash in a free kick from forty yards like he did, you don't really need to say an awful lot. So come on, guys, if I can do it, you can put a bit of effort I, in, you know. The thing is, is like I mean, we're victims of our own downfall. Yeah, definitely. And, and it stemmed from you know the first two goals. Yeah, Badnerak was being dragged across to the right, the right. Yeah, because Jack Stevens was nowhere to be seen and strolling around the pitch. Yeah, and I think the thing is, is the second goal compounded it for him because yep. obviously at the flex, you know, the flex off him into the back of the net. Yeah, um, at that point you're thinking he's not had a good week, has he? To be fair. No, I mean, 
Look, the thing is, is you know, if you look at the stats, Jan and Jan and James Ward Prowse have been ever present, and that in the Saints team since the start of the season, and that says a lot about their general fitness. You know, I got We've got to say that. But yet again, we had a kamikaze moment with, you know, uh, Alex McCarthy and goal, where he where he decides that you know he's going to play a, a short ball to Ram Burkham. Not convinced Ram Burkham completely sort of, you know, went all out to to get the football because you could tell that the the the, the ball from M- McCarthy was short, but. Again, I mean, he shouldn't have been doing it in that position. Just put your foot through it and get it up the pitch, you know? Basically, goalkeeper mark, isn't it? When you're in that position, Rosette. Yeah, exactly. Well, not not even Rosette. You know, just knock the, knock the ball like you're taking a goal kick. I mean, yep. what, why why do you feel the need to sort of do a, do a Jordan Pickford and pretend that you're a sweeper all of a sudden, you know, a sweeper keeper? But, but um yeah, I mean, all, all things considered, did we deserve anything out of the game? No. Yep. You know, we're exactly. both goals, great goals. Yes, they were. We had a, we had a James Ward-Prowse excellent free kick, and we also had the goal from Melamino, which was well taken. And, you know, I look forward to seeing him in the team for Sunday's game, hopefully. Absolutely. Um, yeah, definitely. But... but but overall, mate, no, we didn't deserve anything. You know, Newcastle, Newcastle you know, nine men, Newcastle were well worth the victory. I mean, yep. I, I, but you do, you know, in the final analysis, if we were looking back on this at the end of the season, you, you would turn around, you would say that it was it was definitely a point drop, if not three points. Oh, definitely. Yeah, well, like you said, we had a guilt-edged opportunity to get something in Newcastle, which we don't often get anything from. Yeah. And um, yeah, we definitely missed an opportunity there. Um, like you say, victims of our own downfall, unfortunately. Right, well, that brings us to the end of the two Saints review of Newcastle versus Saints. So we're going to take a very short break. And when we come back, we're going to do Saints Club News and Saints in the Press. We'll be right back after this. It's Mark C and Mark H. Mark my word, they're here with everything in the Two Saints show. Right, welcome back, everybody. So, to uh, the Saints Club News and Saints in the Press section of the pod today. So, Premier League 2 report, Saints 1, Spurs 1. Horsemen, we're adding to Bellis's game. Horsemen, it's an improving group here. Saints, welcome new coach on board. Leeds, tie, given new date. Hassan Hootel, I've never had such support. SDSA banner on display at Staplewood. Walker Peters provides welcome boost. Ralph Hassan Hootel explains his late January transfer decisions. Yannick Vestergaard just one full training session before his comeback from a knee injury. The grosser deal for Southampton could still be on if the asking price is lowered. Theo Walcott set for a long injury layoff as Ralph Hassenhutl reveals the latest injury blow. This is a hamstring injury that Theo's picked up, which we'll get to. We're going to need more of that. Redmond praises the quality of Saints' lone star Minamino. And big chance for Fraser Forster this week in Southampton News. So, right back to the start, Mark. Saints won, Spurs won. Um, probably not a bad result for the B for the B team, um, given it was against Tottenham. A little bit frustrating that they only got a point, but quite a strong display against high flying Tottenham. Yeah, I mean, I think I think at the end of the day, to be honest with you, with the B team, if, if we're picking up points anywhere, it's a, it's a positive. Yeah, you know, the the fact of where we are in the table would mean that 
You know, I mean, my take on the B team is, is morale, I don't care how gifted a footballer you are, you know, but morale must be pretty low there for, for any of the players um, because basically, you know, the season that they've had. Um, but yes, I mean, the thing is, is 1-1 against Spurs, albeit at home, it, it's still a positive. It's a result, you know, it's a positive result, so they can take that moving forward. Yeah, yeah, and also the two players we know that they're keeping a close eye on in the in the B team at the moment, um, Sam Bellis, obviously, and Will Ferry. So Will Ferry got the assist and Bellis scored. So um, yeah. good to see that two players that obviously been touted for the under for the for the B team. Um, two players are keeping an eye on. So it's good to know they're sort of starting to show some promise. So that's good. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, Will Ferry, you know. You know, I'd have high hopes for Will Ferry in the future yeah. in first-team squad. Um, Sam Bellis, I don't really know enough about. But I haven't seen him. I mean, Mark, I always go on people that have seen playing the flesh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, seen, yeah. I've seen Will Ferry playing the flesh, and I haven't seen Sam Bellis playing the flesh. Yeah. Uh, I've seen him online play, but yeah. again... I always say it's not the same thing as going and watching them play live. So, exactly. so for anybody who doesn't know Sam Bellis, and Mark obviously doesn't know him too well, um, it was actually his second goal in three starts for the B team, yeah. coupled with plethora of positive performances for Paul Hardiman's under-18 side. Um, he actually signed on from Saints um, from Man City in That's 2019, it. signed his first professional contract. He's 18 years old. So it's, um, the 2020-21 season has been a bit of a campaign of development for him, really, to be fair. Um, Sunday strike makes it five goals and eight appearances across both age groups this season. Something Dave Horseman's put down to his work rate. He said he's running harder. His physical stats last week were through the roof for him. So it was well over what he'd usually do in a game on every metric we had. Really pleased. If you put in that work and you score a goal too, it shows we're not taking away his goals. We're adding to, we're actually adding to his game, which is great. So he sounds, sounds as though he's starting to develop, which is good. So that's always good news. When you hear a player starting to develop, it's always a positive, isn't it? We won't get carried away because we've had a lot of false dawns with our academy, haven't we, sadly? Yeah, I mean, Sam, Sam came to the academy because uh, I think it was Paul Hardyman was appointed yeah. um, to the academy. And right. he brought, I think he brought three Man City players with him that summer, of yeah. which Sam was one of them. So it's good to see him making the strides. I mean... The stats sound pretty good. It starts five five goals across the the age group, so that's that's you know very positive for him personally. All right, well, off the back of that as well, Dave Horseman said um, they're an improving group. They're obviously learning from what they're doing. Um, big learning points for them. Such a young group, he said. Um, but they're all learning from it, and they'll go through on the learning brief to get better at what they do. So that's good. Um, and also off the back of that, um, Saints welcome a new coach, Mark, to the B team. So Southampton Football Club's further strengthened its beating programme with the appointment of Lee Scram from the Football Association as individual player coach. Yeah, so he joins I mean, the development phase setup, which was revamped in the summer. Before being appointed at the FA, he successful spells at Cardiff from 2006 to 13 and Exeter City from 2013 to 16 as league professional development coach. So it sounds like a good move. He's got UEFA Pro, a UEFA Pro licence holder. So he sounds quite qualified. Unlike some of the coaches at Saints, he's actually qualified for it. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, you know, see how we get on. All I would say is, is like, as I say, with all these appointments, I'll take a watch and brief on them. Yeah, 
I mean, Absolutely. hopefully at some stage you'll be able to get out there and see some B, you know, B, B team action. Fingers crossed, Mark. Yeah, Fingers crossed. No, yeah you probably I'm... like to see that. You probably like to see that before you'll see Premier League football as well. In fairness. Well, I'm hope, we're hoping so. We're certainly hoping so because I miss not going to watch the the B yeah, team or the under twenty threes play. You know. Yeah, I've luckily enough to have been to a couple of B team games with you and a couple of cup games as well that the youngsters are featured in, which has always been good. So it's always good to see them in action, isn't it? Yeah, no, definitely. I'm, it's the only way you got the gauge stuff, Mark. Yeah, well, oh, definitely. Well, it's the first time we'd both seen Will Smallbone and Jake Vokins play together on the same team against Huddersfield, and we got one that day, so it didn't do too bad, did that? And they both scored as well. But there we go. Anyway, moving on from that, Southampton will travel to play Leeds United at Ellen Road on Tuesday, 23rd of February. The Premier League of today confirmed. The tie was originally due to play, take place in mid-January, but obviously postponed to allow for Saints' FA Cup third-round fixture to be played against Shrewsbury Town, which is good because we went on from there to beat Wolves, and we now got... Bournemouth in the next round, so happy days. Yes, anyway. no, it's all it's all good news, man. I mean, the, the the thing is, is you know, just so as the listeners know, obviously, you know, I, I decided to point this out on the pod, you know, obviously, so people can, you know, do whatever they need to do to with the scheduling. But it was more or less to help you, Mark, because I mean, I know you need a. A leg up, you know, we are fantasy team, so you, yeah. you know, oh, yeah, thanks for that. And the Saints <laughs> players in there for that game week or the Leeds players, you know what I mean? Well, I'm lying 12 at the moment, so I'm not doing too bad. <laughs> it's been a pretty good couple of weeks for me, actually. <laughs> right, anyway, Ralph Hassenhutel came out and said, Early days, son, early days. <laughs> Ralph Hassenhutel said he's thankful for the messages of support received from Saints supporters in the wake of Tuesday night's heavy defeat in Man United. Um, he said, because of this result, I received unbelievable messages from fans all around the club. It definitely had a big impact on lifting me and lifting my players. I want to say a big, big thank you. We didn't deserve to get so much lift, to be honest, as we doing, didn't do a good job. The support that I've seen from outside, I must say, I've never had such a thing in my managing career. That's fantastic. And also off the back of that, I also think, Mark, the other reason Ralph's really, really pleased for all the support he's got is the fantastic work of the Saints Disabled Supporters Association and a great banner they've had put up on the outside of the Marcus Liebherr Pavilion at Staplewood. And Ralph and the players have seen it, and it's on display for everyone to see as they enter Staplewood, isn't it, every day, which yeah. is fantastic. So I think that had an awful lot to do with it as well. Yeah, I mean, all, all I would say is, uh, first of all, on the banner, it looks mighty fan. It does. And... On the on the Ralph sort of support, I mean, you know, the support's deserved as far as I'm concerned. I mean, e- even if we're going through a sticky patch, we are, you know, and yep. nobody likes to see, you know, their team lose 9 0 for this, you know, the second yep. time in as many seasons, but absolutely. you know, we all know that there was mitigating circumstances to that, you know. Yep. You can't legislate for injuries and all that there. And I'm not right. I'm not gonna use that as an excuse because no, it's the same for everybody. Yep. Ralph does. Unlike a lot of trendy Premier League managers, Ralph doesn't use as an Yeah, in fairness, we're not Liverpool and we're not gonna blame it on injuries or anything like that, because you know that's the Liverpool route and we don't do that. Well, no, no. It, well, all of them have been doing it, mate, to be yeah. honest with you. You know what I mean? There's very, very few. I have to I have to say, Brendan Rodgers has been very good because he doesn't tend to complain about it. Absolutely. You know, I, I, just, I just think at the end of the day, you know, when, when the team is having a downturn, you know, I do think it's important to be 
supportive of a manager because yeah, there is nobody better out there, better yeah. placed, you know, and I do think that the club do, yeah. you know, we're hamstrung, mate, because yeah. obviously we've got an owner who's who's not interested and only interested in selling yeah. the club. But the have, thing is, right? when and, you look at when you look at the injuries, when you look at the lack of investment, when you look at the squad that Ralph had to deal with for the for the Newcastle game, some of the others, it actually puts it in perspective. If you sit back and look at what he's done this season, it shows you how good a season they've had and what a fantastic job he has done and what a great manager he really is, considering he's been completely hamstrung by no budget. You know, yeah. there's been no players to get rid of to bring money in. So to be fair, what he's actually done is performed a major miracle, in fairness, to be anywhere close to where we are. To be sat 12th in the Premier League at the moment, given the raft of injuries and the points we've dropped, it's a phenomenal achievement. And people should be actually celebrating that fact and supporting Ralph rather than saying, get rid of him. Well, if you're going to get rid of Ralph Hasenhutl, Pete, who are you going to bring in? Because I tell you something now, there's nobody better out there. Not in the current situation and not given the work he's doing. You know, the the, the thing that, the, the other thing that I want to say why we're just saying that is, it's not, you know, it's not just Ralph. It, a no. lot of it goes down to the people that are currently running the football Correct. club. Correct. Because, you know, everything is being run basically on a shoestring budget. Yeah, look, in fairness to the current members of the board that are doing that work, Toby Steele and, and Martin Simmons, full credit to both of them, because to be fair, they're doing a really, really difficult job in impossible circumstances. And I think, in fairness, they're making a pretty damn good job of it. Yeah, so credit where it is. Yeah, credit where it's due. They're doing they're doing an excellent job, mate. You know, and we'll we'll come on to that even more in a couple of minutes. Yeah, absolutely. So, Carl Walker Peters has provided a welcome boost by his return to fitness. Yeah, he certainly has, and obviously based on last <laughs> night's game, certainly made an impact. Mark, great to see him back in it. And no coincidence, we lost four games without him. Exactly. I mean, the thing is, is you know, he's been out for what four games, four yeah. four games anyway in the league, certainly. Right. And we've lost all four games. And it's like I keep saying, the, you need your key performers, your star players Definitely. To, to, to be on the pitch for you. Week yeah, in, exactly. week out. Week in, week out, in, in Saints' case. And, you know, I've said it on the pod before. You know, I've said that, you know, our key performance are the likes of Ings, Ward-Prowse. And as I suggested a few weeks ago, you know, uh, Kyle Walker-Peters was coming into that bracket and he's well yep. and truly in that bracket, you know. And it's amazing that, you know, he, he's obviously signed the summer, but he's only been here a year. And yep. yet he's one of our star performers. You know, you know, he's got a little bit of the old dust about, you know, star dust about him. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so I totally agree with you. I think he's made a massive impact since he's joined Saints. He certainly proved to be a brilliant signing, to be fair. Of the signings we made at the time, I think he was fantastic. He's been the, probably the best signing we've made, to be fair, in, in a while, which is great. So, yeah, I think he's, he's certainly made an impact there. Right, moving on to um, reasons for players doing this and doing that and making an impact or not making an impact. Ralph Hasenhutl explained his late January transfer decisions. Um, there was some criticism for him from sections of the Saints support for the decision to let three key players move on in the final days, leaving the squad threadbare for the trip to Man United. Um, biggest issue being that some um, players wanted game time. Shane Long, Jan Valerie, etc. wanted game time. Um, Ralph was finding it difficult to give him that. And also, um, it was financial as well. So, yeah. obviously, you've got to weigh up the, the, the fees that these players are receiving in wages. 
Um, obviously, Shane Longo and Bournemouth was reliant on a replacement coming in. Um, obviously, Minamino was a player that Ralph wanted some time ago, 2019, I believe. Um, so he's glad to get him in. Um, hopefully, he'll do a job for us on loan. He certainly made an impact on his debut, proved to be a good move. Um, and he's actually done something to Shane Long, not as you do for the last few games. He actually put the ball in the back of the net. So, I think, you know, I think um, me, feel a bit I sorry think... for Shane because he wanted some game time. But um, hopefully it will give him what he needs. Anyway, basically just on, the, you know, for me to round up on the transfer, yep. all, all I would say, Mark, is, is I think the decisions that, that Ralph made were calculated. Yeah. You know, he knew that he wasn't going to be in a position for considerable time that he was going to be without players. You know, we've yeah. seen players now come back. Um, the only thing probably that I would question, I, I, you know, I think your hands are tied. If you have a senior player coming to you, you know, and Jan Valerie comes into that bracket. I know people try yeah. to use he's young still. That, you know, to me, that's a nonsense. You know, he's played in the first team. He knows what, what it's all about, Right. The problem you've got with the likes of him and obviously Shane Long, who's older, and you know, you'd argue coming to the end of his career, you know, they want to be playing week in, week out, those yeah. kind of players. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that, you know, Valerie, you know, well documented on the pod, Valerie's had personal problems off yeah, the pitch. And, and And I think... The move away is a good thing, and yeah. and it's good that he wants to he wants to be playing regular football. Right. I think it's the best thing for him, and the, yeah. and the same with Shane Long. So to be able to move those two out wages wise and bring in Milamino, who hasn't really been, you know, very talented footballer. Oh, fantastic! I've seen of him, yep. right? Yep. But not able to get the game time at yeah. Liverpool. Right. Um, yeah, and Jurgen Klopp said that he needed game time. The only one I would question is Vulcans, because yep. I, I had a look. I mean, he's gone to Sunderland, right? And the very first match day squad, he wasn't even in their match day squad. Yeah. And I you like sort it. of sit there and you think, huh? You know? Yeah, it's a strange um, one. So, so, I mean, maybe, maybe it's for him to go and get experience, but then I still think we could have held, I mean, his wages wouldn't have made that much of a difference, yeah, Mark. Right. We still could have held on to him, which would have given you yep. more than ample cover for fullback. No, but again, it's a club decision. Who am I to argue? I mean, yep. at the end of the day, you know, Melamino looks like a like a good acquisition. And yep. the, the the ones that have gone out, as I say, hopefully for Jake Vokins, it's it'll help him develop. Well, Nathan Nathan Redmond's come out and said we're going to need more of that from Minamino in the way he sort of made his debut, obviously. And Redmond said we're going to need more of that um, from, from Lone Star Minamino. And no, I agree no, with that. But it's... All, all I would say, Mark, about a comment like that is, is I agree with Nathan yeah. Redmond. But the yeah. thing is, is it just goes to show if he's turning around and saying that Melamino, you know, we need to see more of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, all I would say to you is, is uh, Nathan, you play in the same position, mate. So was... the same applies. The same applies. I was going to gonna say the same applies to him, but also remember you've said that, Nathan, when he replaces you in the team, which is probably <laughs> going to happen. Okay. So just remember that. All right. He's probably going to take your spot in the team. So, yeah, we are going to need more of that. And it could be at your expense, unfortunately, especially if you carry on playing the way you play. But anyway. 
So moving on, um, this is news of two injuries. Um, one of them is a positive, one's a negative. The positive, Yannick Vestergaard returned. Um, he only had one full training session before he's come back from a knee injury, but he came back. And the downside, Theo Walcott is set for a long injury layoff as his hamstring injury, surprise, surprise, it's a hamstring, is going to mean he's out for longer than what um, they initially thought. Can't say I'm surprised because that's, uh, it's unfortunately the story of Theo's career, Mark, isn't it? Yeah. Blighted by injuries, blighted by hamstring problems and not really delivered. The Theo Walcott injury, Mark, I'm not even going to go there. No, me either. We've covered it. I feel about the whole thing. But anyway, right, on the... Vestergaard thing. Great respect, want, Theo. Send him back to Everton. I, ju- I just want to say this to you. I just want to say this to you, Vestergaard. Yeah. What a player. You know, to, oh. put, to put yourself up. I like reading things like that there because it shows yeah. commitment and he gets oh, brownie points. Brownie yeah. points for me for things like that there. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the turn around and say to the boss, you know, I still want to be considered... After one training session. Well, let's also bear in mind, he's the most improved player over the last few months, isn't he? He's been yeah, fantastic. Definitely, 100%. Yet. But I just think it, it shows the commitment that you always want to see from players. Yep. You know, for the play, you know, for the only take part in one training session and then put yourself forward for selection for the Newcastle game, it speaks volumes for me. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, moving on. The grosser deal for Southampton could still be on if the asking price is lowered. American businessman Joe DeGrosser was touted to buy Saints late last year, but the deal then went quiet. Now comes news that it could still happen, but the asking price has to come down. The Saints owner Gal Gishang is rumoured to be wanting £160 million for the club. Quite a profit Katarina made, Mark, if that's the case, on that one. She did quite well. So, anyway, he wants £160 million. DeGrosser doesn't value it that much. He thinks they're worth a lot less than that. Um... But we're led to believe that he had a period of exclusivity that's now ended. So despite the fact that they say this could still happen, there's also been reports that it's off, but there are other parties interested, including one other American party, but also a party from the Middle East, which is an interesting one. So um, definitely looks as though Gal Gishang's trying to sell. Um, I don't think DeGrosse is the, um, the man for the man for it, Mark. And to be fair, Adam Blackmore's even said on Solent, there are better people out there. And I totally agree with him on that one, based at what DeGrossa did at Bordeaux. All, all, all I'm going to say on, on Joe DeGrossa himself is is that I always question people who, and and I think it has moved on a pace yeah. now, Mark, even since that, that yeah. article. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is he keeps banging the drum about dropping you know, the asking price. We're yep. talking about a man here that doesn't even use his own money. Well, yeah, the, the thing is, as well, he's come in, he's looked at the cost of the, he's looked at the price of the club. He's come in, he's had this period of exclusivity so he can look at finances and whatever have you, because that's basically what the exclusivity period is. And now he knows what's there. He's now said, oh, I want the asking price lowered. Yeah, but yeah, it's, it's the oldest trick in the book, isn't it? The, 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 the thing is, is the, the asking price isn't going to be lowered. I mean, he's a chancer. He's come in, he's he wrapping pots and yep. pans. You know, Saints fans are desperate for new ownership. You know, and, and the Saints fans will do anything to have well, a new owner in. We might well but, be desperate. All I'm going to say, Saints fans, is careful what you wish for. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't no. be at any cost. Like, it shouldn't like, be at any cost. That's right. You know, because this guy... This guy has been rattling the pots and pans yep. and parading about and going, yep. I'm here, all the rest of it, right? Yep. The thing is, is the people that are running the football club at the minute, I don't believe they want it. I yep. mean, 
The Chinese owners might want it in the sense that they're looking to sell. That that's a different issue. Yeah, yeah. that's a different issue. But I I just think at the end of the day, of course, he wants the price, Lord. He's not paying the club exactly. with exactly. his own money. He's getting yeah. other people. It's other right. people's money. Right. Well, all, two it does, all it does is saddle us with that. There's two us things I'm going to say on this one. Two us things I'm going to supporters. Hang on. Us yep. as supporters, right? Us as supporters and the club itself. All it yep. does is put the future of the club in jeopardy. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And, like, and like you were saying, you know, and I'm led to believe myself, there are better options out there. You know, it might mean that we'll have to hang on for a while. You know, we've got, we've got, you know, somebody that we don't necessarily want doing in the football club. Yep. But if it gets resolved, once we're out of this yep. pandemic, absolutely, um, and like you said, we're led to believe that there are other people that are much more attractive propositions for us to take over. You yep. know, we've got we've got to just get through this period, and then hopefully get out the other side of it. Guy gets the money that he wants for the football yep. club, absolutely. and hopefully, you know. When the deal goes through, the club yep. then will be in safer hands to move only, forward. I have a few points to make before we close on this one, Mark, and it's not going to take long to get through, though. So the first one is, Saints fans, if you really want this bloke in charge, trust me, you don't. Watch what he did at Bordeaux. Look up what he did at Bordeaux. That tells you everything. Don't want him at our club. He's bad news for our club, and it will jeopardise the future of the club. Simple as that. That's the first point. Second point. Burnley have just been taken over by American investors, ALK Capital, they're £90 million in debt as a result of that takeover. It's cost them £90 million for that takeover to go through. We can't afford that at the moment. We're £76 million in debt already. Bear that in mind, Saints fans. Careful what you wish for. Thirdly, there are better options out there. And the fourth one is, for anybody who thinks that massive investment is going to enable Saints to invest a lot in the transfer market, got news for you. Listen very carefully to what directors of the club have said when they've said, we're paying about 70-90% of our income out in salary. That means we're in danger of breaching FIFA fair play rules. So even if we do get a new owner, we've still got to be careful what we invest and where. So don't expect an immediate overnight investment like we have with Marcus Lieber, because it's probably not going to happen. Anyway... That, for me, brings to an end to that takeover talk. And the next story is relating to the fact that this week has been a big chance for Fraser Forster, and I certainly think he cemented his chances with his display last night, Mark. Is he going to start the weekend ahead of McCarthy? Four clean sheets in four games would tell me he deserves a chance. So we, we, had, a, we had a little chat before we decided to record the pod, and, yeah, I basically said that Fraser probably deserves his opportunity, bearing in mind that of all the games even that he's played, he has yet to concede. Um, and he was the last goalkeeper, if you like, to keep a clean sheet in the league yep. um, against Liverpool. So, that, yeah, I, I feel that he deserves his, he would probably deserve an opportunity on Sunday. So, on that one, I would just say over to you, Ralph. But, uh, the the good thing is is you know Fraser will hopefully you know continue. I mean he's going to continue and go in the FA Cup. And if if Saints were to get past Bournemouth, you know it's quite fitting that you know he he gets to play at Wembley, you know, and and maybe the career the Saints career might be you know 
on on a, on an upward curve again. Um, although I would like to see his wages come down, but that's that's a discussion for another day. Or if he is going to sign a new contract, he say he stays on the same wages, but I wouldn't be offering him more wages. Absolutely. But um, there you go. And that brings us brilliantly to the end of that section of the pod for today. So we're going to take a very short break. And then coming up for you in the second half, we have other football news, Saints transfer gossip and Saints two Saints preview of Wolves versus Saints in the league. So we'll be right back shortly. It's the Two Marks CNH on the Two Saints Show, Fiesta 95 FM. Right, welcome back. So other football news. England Euro 2020 warm-up games, Austria and Romania fixtures postponed last year are now rescheduled. Tottenham donate £100,000 of player fines to North Middlesex University Hospital. Paul Canneville, former Chelsea winger, 58, critically ill in hospital after emergency surgery. Jason Tindall, Bournemouth sack manager after six months in charge. Jordan Henderson, Liverpool captain, calls racist abuse assault with words. Tommy Wright, Kilmarnock appoint Northern Irishman as Alex Dyer's successor. Mike Dean, referee notifies police over death threats to family. Lee Mason stood down by Premier League after Susek and Benrick VAR errors. Tony Collins, Football League's first black manager, dies at the age of 94. Neil Taylor, Wales and Aston Villa defender, backs drive for more Asian footballers. FA Cup, Burnley picks suspended Eric Peters for Bournemouth game. Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney, Hollywood duo, complete Wrexham takeover. And Premier League launches no room for racism action plan. Champions League, Borussia Mönchengladbach versus Man City move to Budapest. Champions League, RB Leipzig versus Liverpool move to Budapest because of Germany travel ban. And your last one, Di Davis, an obituary, former Wales goalkeeper, dies at the age of 72. So those are your headlines for other football news, Mark, starting with England Euro 2020 warm-up games. Austria and Romania fixtures are postponed from last year and to be rescheduled. And these are in preparation for the rearranged Euro 2020. Austria on the 2nd of June with Romania for Sunday the 6th of June. Venues yet to be confirmed. Okay, so moving on from there, your next one is Tottenham donate 100,000 of player fines to North Middlesex University Hospital. Tottenham have given 100,000 of player fines to a hospital as a thank you for work during the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, you could have given back some of the money you loaned from the British taxpayer rather than giving 100,000 to the hospital, but anyway. Uh, hang on, hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's the club, mate. This is the yeah. players we're talking about. Yeah, players I deserve th- credit because the club have been very naughty. But <laughs> Okay, uh, let's get off the world according to, according to my good friend. But <laughs> the thing is, is you know, the players deserve a bit of credit, albeit that it was probably fines that were incurred over the season for, you know, lateness to training and all the rest of it. But even so, I mean, £100,000 isn't a, you know... Uh, a fee that's sort of to be sniffed at or a donation that's to be sniffed at. So, you know, I think, I think you know, you'd be amiss not to turn around and say, well done to the players for donating yep. money. Yep, credit where it's true. Definitely credit where it's true. So we move on to the next story. Paul Canneville, former Chelsea winger 58, is critically ill in hospital after emergency surgery. Former Chelsea winger Paul Canneville is critically ill in hospital after emergency surgery. The 58-year-old was the club's first black player when he signed in 1981 and went on to score 15 goals in 103 games before retiring with a knee injury aged just 25. He runs his own foundation as has been a prominent anti-racism campaigner. 
The Blues have wished him a rapid recovery, saying he holds a major place in Chelsea history. A statement from the Paul Canneville Foundation asked people to help keep him in their thoughts. We're sad to advise that our founder, Paul Canneville, is critically ill in hospital after complications set in after emergency surgery, it said. Canneville, whose playing career also included a stint at Reading, has recovered from cancer on three occasions. Paul has a major place in Chelsea history, made his debut in 1982 and was the first black player in our men's first team, said a Chelsea statement. He faced considerable prejudice, but stayed strong and went on to make 100 appearances, including during the glorious promotion of 1983-84 and a memorable season in the top flight that followed. So we certainly, from the Two Saints show, we certainly wish Paul Canneville a very speedy recovery, Mark. We certainly do, mate. I mean, all, all, I, all I would say is, I mean, I, I remember Paul Canneville playing for Chelsea when I was a kid. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's very... Very sad to hear what's happened. Um, I mean, there there's a fella who, you know, he broke he broke the mold actually when he got into the Chelsea team because yeah. I'm I'm not going to mix my words here. I mean, there was a section of the Chelsea support that were were not friendly when it came to black players. Let's be honest, and you know, and he he received a hell of a lot of racist abuse. From his own supporters, yeah, you know, um, and and you know, thankfully, you know, he broke down barriers, and a lot of those people that were probably against him whenever he was first starting out at Chelsea when he made his first appearance, you know, by the end of the stint at Chelsea, you know, there was probably you know a few of them that had the utmost respect for him, you know, it, yeah, it, it's funny how those sort of kind of things turn around um but you know you you shouldn't have any any sort of racism at all in my opinion no, but I agree. I, I, as i as i say as i say I, I just remember you know i remember as a kid sitting watching them with you know on the big match and things like that there and you know you can you can hear i mean i, I always talk about it about one of my Boyhood heroes who was who was Clyde Best, and you could hear the racist abuse coming through on the microphones. Yep, you know, and stuff like that there. And uh, I mean, he was definitely a trailblazer in regards to Chelsea and Stamford Bridge at the time. I mean, I I remember, and that this was this was sort of London even in in the in the late eighties when I lived there, Mark. Yeah, uh, you know, I I would go around the capital if I couldn't get tickets for Saints. I'd go around, you know, go yep. around. But that, that that was how it was. Yep. You know, I would go. I could. I had a choice of games I could go to on a Saturday. A lot yep. of the time, I go to a lot more of the friendlier clubs like Bramford, Fulham, yep. stuff like that. There, late Orient used to go and watch them quite a bit. Um, West Ham were kind of on the doorstep, so we'd go and see them when they yep. played at home. Um, and you know, the but the thing was, was I used to go and watch Chelsea at times and stuff like that. There, I remember going with a friend of mine from Belfast who was a, a Liverpool fan, right? And we went in the Chelsea home end, and that that's how that's how I remember the abuse to Carnival yep. because out, outside. Outside the ground, they were actually selling like 
BMP newsletters and stuff, wow. you know, National Front stuff outside the ground. You know, like they were handing out pamphlets and stuff like that there, That's you know. And, and uh, the thing is, is he managed to break down because there was always that sort of feel about Chelsea at the time. And thankfully, Paul Canavan managed to break that down and, and you know, Chelsea's a far better club now yeah, than, definitely, than definitely. what it was back then. So, yeah, Paul Canaville, we wish you a very speedy recovery and best wishes to you and your family, obviously. 100%. So, moving on, to, moving on to our next story. Championship Club Bournemouth have sacked manager Jason Tindall, who was in charge for just six months. He was obviously appointed in August following the departure of Eddie Howe. We feel a change is needed now to give the club the best possible chance of achieving the goals clearly set out last summer, said a club statement. Former Middlesbrough boss Jonathan Woodgate, who only joined Bournemouth for first-team coach on Monday, surprisingly, will be in caretaker charge for the game against Birmingham on Saturday. He was. The club stated they wanted to confirm a new manager as swiftly as possible. Recent performances and results have fallen well below the board's expectations. Yeah, this is all a little bit after the Lord's Mayor's show for me, Mark. He's followed in the footsteps of Eddie Howe, who had a phenomenal legacy at Bournemouth. Yeah. Um, Eddie Howe's performances weren't exactly fantastic before he left, yet the board decided not to sack him. They've actually sacked Jason Tindall after six months, deciding that um, they're not following the direction they want to, and performances haven't been good enough. So uh, off he goes, and they want to appoint a new manager. I'm staggered, mate, because this is all a bit after the Lord Mayor's show for me. How on earth was Jason Tindall expected to emulate what Eddie Howe had done at Bournemouth after the amount of time Eddie Howe had been there? Not even possible. You're never going to do that, are you? You'll have to be somebody really special to emulate that. The the problem is that, obviously, you know, the majority of that squad still remains intact yep. you know, from, the, from the Premier League, right? And and like I said to you, you know, you've even got players that weren't even, you know, weren't prominent, say, last season that came in, the likes yeah. of Jacks DSA, um, the lad that designed from uh, Bristol City, whose name escapes me at the moment. But, you know, the thing is, is that they had all, everything in place, even if they dropped into the championship, in that they had top championship players. Um and and the other the other thing is is that you know the the board probably fe- I think I think the the issue was the board before going well you know they were second or third in the table yep. at one point and that was only five or six games ago yep. and they've dropped alarmingly although they haven't dropped out of the playoff yep. places as far as I'm aware they're in sixth but the thing is is there has been a little bit of a decline in Probably yep. in performance as well yep. as as well as you know where they are in the table. Thing um, is, I, I'm not. I'm, I wasn't. I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm not. You know, I think they could have still had a wait and see approach with yep. Jason Dindle. But I think the problem is, Mark, is that the pressure's on because obviously they've got two, maybe three seasons to get themselves up. And if they don't, there's going to be a gap in financial hole. The thing is, club. No, I get that. And the thing is, they made the decision to release Callum Wilson. Josh King was. They made the decision to release Josh King as well. So he's lost his strike force. Okay, and now they're saying, "Oh, well, performances etc. aren't good enough, Jason. We're going to sack you now." You've just yeah. taken away two of his players that are probably going to get them promoted if they stand a chance of it, and re- you haven't really replaced them. No offense to Shane Long, who's great for saying you replaced both of them with Shane Long. That's no pressure on Shane Long in any way, is there, Mark, to be fair? But seriously, you've replaced Callum Wilson and Josh King with Shane Long. No offence to Bournemouth. 
and you've basically said to the manager, well, results aren't good enough. See you later. Well, good well, luck I, to the next person who comes in because I think they're going to struggle without that strike force. Mark, I've got to be honest and say that I take exception to what you're saying there because the thing is, is what you've got to remember is, you know, it's not like Callum Wilson was released. Callum Wilson went oh, for a feed in Newcastle. You know, Bournemouth had debts to pay. Bournemouth were, you know, as you no, like to keep that. pointing out about Saints, 90% of, you know, the income that was coming in was going on players' wages. And that's not sustainable. It's not sustainable when you're... No, 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 I get that. I get that. You're not... Here, it's not sustainable when you're in a 32,000-seater stadium. Right? It's certainly not ex- sustainable when you're in an 11,500-seater stadium. So just remember what you're saying. No, I agree with that. I agree with that point. The point I'm making is, you know, he's lost his strike force, basically. I don't know if any manager's expected to perform without his strike force there to, to get the results they need. You know, it's difficult. So he's kind of doing the job with one hand tied behind his back, whoever it is that comes in now. So it's not going to be an easy task, but there you go. They have other other strikers that yeah, they yeah, brought yeah. in to replace those people. Like, like I said, they got a, a fee for Callum Wilson. They're getting a fee currently for Josh King. I mean, jo- the Josh King one, the writing was on the wall anyway. I mean, he's yeah, been yeah. on the leave for the last 18 months. His heart, yeah, hasn't, his heart hasn't been at the football club, so no, there's no point pointing him out. I mean, he hasn't yeah, been prolific... He hasn't been prolific for them since they've gone down into the championship anyway. No, and that's point. why Shane Long's probably been brought in. Yeah, yeah. But because no, Shalanki, you know, Dominic Shalanki that's leading the line at the minute, you know, he's not the most experienced of players. No. Um, and obviously that's why Shane Long's come in come in there alongside him. Yep. Um I just I mean, I agree with you in the sense that it, there's short-termism involved, but then I think, you know, for Bournemouth in the, in the size of stadium that they're in, it's high stakes, mate, in the sense that if they don't get themselves up, I'm going to say within the next two seasons, all right, the parachute payments for three years, but I'd say if they're not up either this season or next season, they're, they're going to be languishing, down around the lower reaches of the championship, maybe even relegation in the league. One of them, you know, and and that's the pressures the clubs face. That is the pressures the clubs face. You know. No. Anyway, moving on to the next story. Jordan Henderson saying that um, racist abuse is basically assault with words, and urging social media companies to step up and stop these people from having the ability to hide like cowards. Um, I tend to agree with him on that one, Mark. I mean, look, man, I I just seen the article and I thought to myself, yeah, it's worth it's worth sort of speaking about. Yeah. Um, you know, it it isn't anything that we haven't said on the show. Where, you know, there there has to be a certain amount of accountability for social yeah. media to take appropriate action against these people. Yeah. And 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 when they are found, you know, make sure that they're prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Yeah, he said it's time for action to meet words. It's time for those who have the power and authority to intervene to do so. Be the government's or the social media companies themselves who benefit from the interaction of football supporters all over the world. Speaking to BBC World, World, uh, sorry, BBC Sport on Wednesday, Culture Secretary Oliver Dowden said the government was prepared to get tough and criminal sanctions could be considered if social media platforms do not fulfil their duty of care. Good, about time. Could be considered. There should already be an answer, right? It's not a matter of could be, should be, and should have been done. 
Yeah, Same been. with Dementor in football. It should have been dealt with a very long time ago. Uh, not good enough for the authorities and those concerned. So pull your finger out because uh, it's been very long overdue and should have happened a very long time ago. Anyway, yeah. Tommy Wright, Kilmar- uh, Kilmarnock have appointed Tommy Wright uh, as Alex Dyer's successor. So Northern Irishman Tommy Wright has been appointed as Alex Dyer's successor at Kilmarnock. Right, so this is where I get egg in my face, right? Because I was getting all ready to talk up Tommy Wright's appointment as Kilmarnock boss, right? And on Tuesday night, they went and lost in his first match to Motherwell. So, so, so I'm sat there thinking to myself, no, no big, no, no big Tommy Wright sort of thing here. Um, but hopefully, at the end of the day, he can. I've, I have to say, I feel sorry for Alex there. You know, obviously he was a, he was the assistant to Steve Clark. Steve Clark went off, moved from Kilmarnock to the be the Scotland national boss, and then Alex there took over. Um, in diff- difficult times, like for every football club, you know, difficult times. You're 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 working in difficult situations. I mean. You know, Kilmarnock's had a COVID outbreak and everything like that there. Um, and then obviously, I mean, Tommy Tommy Wright's got enough experience within Scottish football. Obviously, he was the former St Johnston manager, and he was he was quite re- renowned at St Johnston for bringing the youth through. Yep. So maybe maybe that's something that Kilmarnock's hoping to tap into as well as his vast you know, experience in in management within yeah, yeah. Sort of Scottish football. Um yep. so yeah, not not the best of starts for him, but hopefully hopefully things can only get better from here. Yep, absolutely right. So moving on, Mike Dean has refer um the referee Mike Dean has notified police over death threats for his family. Um he's received a number of threats including death threats and abusive messages. Um, after receiving criticism for sending off Southampton defender Jan Benrek and West Ham midfielder Thomas Susek within a week. Um, both of those were actually um, overturned on appeal. And also Lee Mason, who was VAR for one of those games and referee for the other, has actually been stood down by the Premier League after the Susek and Benrek VARs. So, um, look, it's important. Not overly surprised, but it's important to point out that, as Mark's probably going to say as well, and I agree with him if he does say this, Mike Dean does not deserve death threats. I mean, look, not. The end of the day, you're crossed. You've crossed the line as soon as yep. you start going down that route, right? Absolutely. Our respect of, you know, we, we can take the decisions and everything else, and I do feel that the the appropriate action. I mean, apparently, Mike Dean actually requested that he be not considered for games without yep. um, sort of the Premier League turning around and saying, you know, we're not we're not gonna. We're not yep. going to use you this weekend or for however long it is, yep. which, you know, is far enough. And, it, and given the set of circumstances anyway, you know, death threats, it's, it's not acceptable in any way, shape or form. And that, that's our perspective of how you feel about the officials yourself. I mean, right. the, 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 issue, the issue for me would be more that, you know, and it doesn't surprise me that Lee Mason's been stood down for a couple yep. of weeks as well, because it would look like those two were partners in crime when it came to, yeah. came to the whole sort of Fulham and, and yep. 
Manchester United thing, you know. Um, but but having said that, no, look, the bottom line is that any sort of abuse of, of anybody, yeah. you know, whether it be death threats, whatever it is, it, it's it's not acceptable in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, yes, you may you may feel aggrieved as a as a supporter. And we don't we don't know where these the other thing to say is it's a bit like Alex Yankovic, you know, and you know it doesn't necessarily mean to say that it came from seeing supporters. You know, no. it could have came from general supporters yeah, or just, okay. just, just could have came from any allegiance on online, like you know. Yep. But but it, it, you know, the end of the day would totally condone anything like that there. Yeah, um, right. but but you know, as, as I say, there you go, you know. And uh, yeah. but from my own personal point of view, you know, and I'll go back to this one, Mark. You know, a couple of years ago, the Premier League had set the auditorium that, you know, in terms of referee and elite football. So we're talking about Premier League football and international yeah. football. That we're going to have a retirement age set at fifty. Yep. And the thing is, after 50, you were going to be able to referee below that and then yep. put out the pasture, right? Yep. But that hasn't come to pass yet. No. But the Premier League need to go back and look at that yep. and make a decision because I, these play, these these referees may be physically fit, yep. you know, and, you know, ju- just to prove a point and show that, you know, I I do think that there should be a, ma- a mandatory retirement age for the elite list of yeah. fifty, right? Yeah. And and that's a downside for me because that would mean that somebody like John Moss, who I like, I know I know he's not everybody's cup of tea, right? But John Moss, who I like, and has the highest percentage of win ratios yeah. for. Yeah. When when referee and Saints games, well, he did well last time. It, it would mean it would mean that <clears> he wouldn't be on the list because he's fifty two. But he did well last night. But I think you do. They do need to sit and consider yeah, that. Definitely. And why why is it that the elite the elite league or the elite list is only eighteen officials? That well, is anywhere near enough. No, it isn't. It isn't. Well, it makes you wonder, doesn't it? So yeah. Um, I think that sums that one up quite nicely. So moving on, Over Tony Collins. Yeah, moving on. Yeah, absolutely. Mike Riley, you're the head of um of the referees, etc. So you need to sort your sort your situations out. Definitely, there's a lot of them to sort them out because you haven't delivered on the promises you've made so far. Anyway, Tony Collins, football league's first black manager, dies at the age of 94. Collins spent seven years in charge of Rochdale, leading them to the 1962 League Cup final and later worked for Manchester United as chief scout. Former United boss Sir Alex Ferguson sent his deepest condolences, adding his family should be very proud of all he achieved. Alamey Association chairman Howard Wilkinson said, Tony was a true pioneer of the sport. He continued, he was known throughout the game for his ability to recognise and nurture talent, a skill which enabled him to have a huge impact on the lives of others. After a playing career with Sheffield Wednesday, York City, Watford, Norwich City, Torquay United, Crystal Palace and Rochdale, Collins went into management. Dow were in the old Division 4, now League 2, throughout his time in charge, but the highlight was their run to the League Cup final, which was then two legs before switching to Wembley in 1967, uh, 67, sorry, before losing 4-0 to Norwich on aggregate. 
Notts Forest boss Chris Hewton and LMA board manager added, Tony's always been an inspiration to me as I continue alongside my colleagues to campaign to see more diversity in management and coaching across the game. He will be very sorely missed. Everyone at Rochdale Football Club is deeply saddened to learn of the passing of Tony Collins. Tony joined us in 1959 and was appointed player manager a year later, becoming the first black manager in English league football. He led Dale to the 1962 League Cup final. That's a statement from Rochdale. There's also a statement from Watford. We're deeply saddened to learn of the passing of former Watford player Tony Collins, age 94. The thoughts of everyone at Watford are with Tony's family and friends. And Crystal Palace... We're saddened to learn that former winger Tony Collins has passed away at age 94. And Torquay United. Torquay is saddened to learn of the passing of former player Tony Collins. Yeah, deepest condolences to your family as well, Tony. And Tony Collins, fantastic man. And rest in peace. So I have to admit, Mark, even I, right, I didn't know anything about Tony Collins whatsoever until... Around about 1995, it would have been. Um, I was in the second stint when I was living in London at right. this time. <clears throat> I had moved location from the East End to South East London, and my nearest local club was Crystal Palace, who were sharing with Wimbledon at the time as well. Um, and it wasn't really until, because obviously I used to go and watch Palace and Wimbledon quite a bit because um, it was easier, you know. Yeah. Basically, you had a home game every week. But um, as I say, so I I didn't actually. I had a I had a a friend who was a Palace fan, and he actually he was you know it was the first time that I'd heard of Tony Collins. So you know a bit bit a bit sort of. Ashamed to say that I only heard heard about him in in 1995. To be honest with you, but I mean he had a huge huge legacy to the game in terms of pioneer for black managers, even black footballers. So yeah, no, uh, as you say, condolences to the family. Yeah, definitely. So moving on from there, Neil Taylor. <clears throat> Wales and Aston Villa defender backs drive for more Asian footballers. Wales and Aston Villa defender Neil Taylor believes attitudes towards racism are improving in British football, but says he'd like to see more players of Asian heritage. Taylor, 32, has given his back into a new Professional Footballers Association monitoring scheme for young Asian players. He says he's encouraged by the changing attitudes towards racism he's seen during his career. Society is changing, he said. We're at the point now where everybody's united in the fact that if it happens, it's being reported, people are being found, and we're getting to the root of the problems. As a society, we're starting to realise you can't get away with what you say these days. You've got to be careful, and I think racial prejudice is starting to get out of the game. Not sure I 100% agree with that, but it'd be good to think it is starting to find its way out of the game, Mark, but uh, at the moment there's been too many events recently, haven't there, sadly? Uh-huh. I mean, the only, the only thing I would say about what he's saying, I, I want to focus more on trying to get, because it's something that I'd like to see. You know, we had Michael Chopra, who's obviously of Indian descent and stuff like that there, and Danny Bath, who played for Wolves for a while. You know, they're, they're some of the more prominent Asian players there's been, but there hasn't been a lot, Mark, I've got to be honest. And I think, my own belief is that it, it's not actually, you know, 
the racism thing can be part of it, but I don't I don't think it is that. I think that within you know circular families, right? You know, an Asian family would want their son or daughter, you know, to to have a career or have a profession like teaching, being a lawyer, you know, something that that basically, you know, you get a good salary at, you know, and you have long-term prospects, right? I don't think necessarily within certain cultures that being a professional footballer, you know, would necessarily be encouraged. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't see that within Asian community, but hopefully over the next few years that, you know, as as football becomes more sort of acceptable and a way forward, you know, you know, hopefully that will change. But the thing is, is and the thing that you don't see is, you know, families have to put, you know, say you have a son, families have to put a lot of time into taking their sons, the games and everything else, you know, and you're giving up every week and day. And I, I just think, I just think within the Asian communities, you know, it's probably a case of football, and 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 to a certain extent, I agree with football. Sort of looked at as a profession as a bit of a risk. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it can't be a coincidence. There's a reason we haven't seen players of Asian heritage in the, in the, in the Premier League and areas like that. So yeah. Not really overly surprised by that, to be fair. I mean, I mean, it doesn't I, mean it's the right decision. You know, it's sad, but it does need to change. But no, and I, and I, and I would love to see more more yeah, Asian footballers playing, and especially when you look at somewhere like the district of St Murray's, where yeah, hundred percent, you know, there's a vast, vast, yep. you know, ethnic minority community there to tap in for the club to tap into. Yeah, and you've got an awful lot of footballers from those areas because um, I've seen a lot of them over just behind where I live at the moment, and there's an awful lot of them on a regular basis, training and playing and stuff. So, yeah, definitely an area to tap into, I would have said. Anyway, moving on. The English Football League's plans for salary caps in Leagues 1 and 2 have been withdrawn following a decision by an independent arbitration panel. Third-tier clubs would have been given a £2.5 million ceiling for salaries and fourth-tier sides £1.25 million under the proposals. But a claim by the Professional Footballers Association that caps were unlawful and unenforceable was upheld by the panel. Um, yeah, um, if you're going to cap them, it's about time you put a salary cap in the Premier League. So yeah, good luck with that but, one. But the thing, kind of glad thing, in a way, Mark, aren't you? No, I, I've got an issue with it. I right. want to see salary caps. I do. No, that's what I'm saying. You should do it in the Premier League to start with. Because how how then? Do we get any sort of level playing field if you're not going to have yeah. some sort of that's salary cap? You well, know? that's why I said they need to do it in the Premier the, League, don't they? The thing is, is it's been challenged by people who don't want to have those sort of constraints, and it's fine as long as the club's got money. But what yeah. happens when the club hasn't got any money? Yeah, exactly. That. You know? Yeah, no, exactly. That's a fair point. Exactly. That. Exactly. That. Yeah, I don't know. Right, FA Cup. This is a good one. Burnley pick suspended Eric Peters for Bournemouth game. Burnley was saved from a costly FA Cup mistake when they named a suspended player in their lineup as opponents Bournemouth pointed out the error. Left back Eric Peters was picked for the match at Tafmore, but the visitors noticed he was ineligible after being booked and um, against NK Dons 
Fulham in previous two rounds. It was a simple admin error, Clarence Boss, Sean Dyche said. Yeah, I'd be thankful that, uh, that Bournemouth actually pointed that out <laughs> instead of going, oh, do you know what? Let's not point it out. Yeah, they could have not but, pointed it out. And yeah, um, but the, there you go. The, the, the thing is, is Mark, right? To me, this is an example, right? And and I put Saints in this bracket along with <clears> Bournemouth <throat> and one or two other clubs. But the thing is, is we're way too nice. We are yep. way too nice. You know, yep. somebody played league turns around and says to Sean Dice, well, you've been a bit of a, a administration error there because Eric Peters was booked in the last round and shouldn't be playing. You know what I mean? I would have let them crack on. We have the FA can find them the high heaven. Like, you know what I mean? Thing is, as well, Sean Dice is an experienced manager. You knew damn well he was suspended. <laughs> Come on. What, you were admitting you didn't know your player was suspended, Sean? Yeah, bang up, great manager you are. Don't even know when your players are suspended. Come on, pull the other one. It's got bells on it. It was one of the quirkier stories of this week. I oh, mean, seriously. You're, you're, but you're sat there <laughs> and you're thinking to yourself, no, let them hit crack one. You know, as, as I say, sometimes I think down the south coast we're way, way too nice, right? No. And I can, I can imagine somebody polite, politely as well pointing out to them, well, Burnley, you've made a mistake there. I don't want you to get fined by the affair. Thing, you know what I mean? No, let them crack on. Let them get a fight. Exactly. Let them get in no, trouble. What well, you've been so nice about they've it? Just, they've just been taken over. They can afford it. <laughs> they pulled a flanker. Why are you letting them get away with it? Seriously, sort it out. Honestly. Well, talking of amusing stories and interesting stories and quirky ones, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney, the Hollywood duo, complete Wrexham takeover. They complete their ex- takeover of Wrexham. Deadpool actor Reynolds and it's always sunny in Philadelphia creator McElhenney have invested an immediate £2 million into the National League club, boosting women's football is also among their plans for the Wrexham area. It's a special day for the two of us to become the latest stewards in the long and storied history of Wrexham AFC, said Reynolds and McElhenney. Together with the players, the staff, the fans and the local community, we can now pursue our goal to grow the team and return it to the EFL in front of increased attendances and in an improved stadium while making a positive difference to the wider community in Wrexham. Wrexham is also in a posi- is only in a position to thrive because of the incredible efforts of the Wrexham Supporters Trust. The members are a fitting reflection of the integrity and spirit of the town and will always have an important role at the club. The pair signal the announcement in advance by adding the letter W to the start of their names on social media accounts. Reynolds, who has over 17 million followers on Twitter, and McElhenney also used the platform to add their own brand of humour to the completed tavers, uh, takeover. The quote was, there are no small bottles, Rob, only small owners with small bottles. P.S. We have the same lawyer. <laughs> so anyway, they've completed their takeover, Mark. Good news for Wrexham, I would say. Uh, 100%, man. And the thing is, is, well, you know, I thought about this and... and you know, I know we've probably spoke about it before when it was proposed that, you know, the takeover was happening and then yeah. it got voted on. So it's good to see that the takeover's been completed. But yeah. the one thing I would I would say, Mark, is is, you know, the sooner Wrexham can get back into the league, the better. Because yeah. basically, you know, when when you think about it, there's no representation from North Wales. Yep. in football league at the minute and yep. they've been sorely missed for the time that they've been out of yep. the league so Definitely. hopefully hopefully you know with the investment from the hollywood a-listers you know they'll be able to achieve that goal yeah and, and i know i know that as well as that you know they've got big plans in terms of getting a 
getting the women's team off the ground, which is great news as but well. The thing is, as well, with them with them being who they are, there's a good chance of getting extra investment from other people as well, isn't there? Yeah, because they're quite I mean, a draw, aren't they? To be fair. Yeah, and I hope I hope you know, even though I know they're Hollywood stars sort of thing, right? But and I, you know, from the noises that I'm hearing. You know, I'm hoping that they make proper connections with the community. Right, and in, in fairness, um, looking at both of them throughout their careers and looking at both of them in their personal lives, they both seem pretty decent people, to be fair. So, you know, they want well to land on their feet there, Wrexham. I'll, I'll go with you on that because I don't I don't obviously follow them too much. So, you know, on, on your own head, bent, you know, if I'm hearing <laughs> bad things in Wrexham, I'll be bringing them up to you. Okay, yeah, cheers for that, Bob. Anyway, the Premier League have launched a no-room-for-racism action plan. They've launched a no-room-for-racism action plan to build on the existing moves taken to promote equality, diversity and inclusion. The plan outlines a series of commitments aimed at creating greater access to opportunities and career progression for black, Asian and other minority ethnic groups in football and actions to eradicate racial prejudice. Premier League Chief Executive Richard Masters said the plans aim to ensure everyone can achieve their potential regardless of background. No place for racism in our sport. The Premier League will continue to take action against all forms of discrimination so that football is inclusive and welcoming for all. Good. I mean, look, it's sad that we've had to reach this point before yeah. any sort of action's been taken because, in my yeah. view, these sort of things should have been in place long before. But it's good to see that the, the Premier League obviously has taken the steps and... You know, we all look at it as a positive. Yes, definitely. Absolutely, definitely right. So, let's hope that it continues to be stamped out, Mark, because that's what we want, isn't it? At the end of the day. 100%. All to be stamped out of the game. Right, Champions League. Borussia München Gladbach versus Man City has been moved to Budapest. Yep. And RB Leipzig versus Liverpool has been moved to Budapest. Um, I'm guessing with both of them, it's a result of the Germany travel ban, I would think. Yes, it is, man. It is. I mean, the thing is, is basically... If, if there's a new variant in any country, you can't travel into Germany. So that that's basically why both games for both both of the English clubs are having to be played in a neutral venue. Both of them are taking place at the Puskas Arena in yep. Budapest. And uh, yeah, that's more or less. I'll tell you what, talking about a great player there, Ferenc Puskas, fantastic player. Yep. Was he the guy that did the first ever Penenka penalty, Mark? No, because Penenka did the first ever oh, Penenka okay. penalty. That's probably how I'll get the two confused. Look. Well, they both begin with P, and they were both great players. Well, well, the one thing I always remember about Puskas, just briefly, was, um, and it was when he was the one of the coaches at uh, Olympiarchos or Palafinekos, one of the two. Anyway, one of those great Greek sides. And he was there, and apparently they were warming up on the pitch, right? And he was taking part in a warming up session, right? And he hit this shot from about 25 yards, and it just went sailing in. The goalkeeper was beat all ends up. This is in the warm-up, right? Yeah. And, you know, they were due to play Nottingham Forest. It was Nottingham Forest was due to play them, right? As soon as... As soon as that happened, you know, the commentator turned around and said, well, Nottingham Forest have nothing to fear from the goalkeeper. If if if, if Puskas, who was about 55 at the time, right, 
is flipping crack and one in from about 30 yards. <laughs> oh, dear. Right, anyway, moving on. So, sad news, Mark, I'm afraid. Former Wales goalkeeper Di Davis has died at the age of 72. He'd been in the hospice after being diagnosed with cancer. He was at one stage Welsh most capped keeper, making 52 appearances for his country over a seven-year period. His career spanned 17 years, starting at Swansea City before moving on to Everton, Tranmere Rovers, Bangor City and Wrexham, where he ended his career in his second spell with the club. Di was a great goalkeeper, but also a wonderful human being with a beautiful soul, his wife Judy said in a family statement. Ever the gentleman, Di had time for everyone and was hugely respected and much loved by so many. The statement issued by Davies' former club Everton also said, It's with great sadness we announced the death of William Di- David Davies, better known as Di. Today, Wednesday the 10th of February 2021, he died peacefully at home. He was much loved by Judy, Bethan, Gareth, Ryan, Emma, Sally, Kate and his 12 grandchildren. He will live on in the memories we and many others hold dear. In his last few months, the kindness and support he and us have received from our friends and the staff at Nightingale House Hospice has been wonderful and we thank them all. As we do, the staff who cared for him at both the Mailer Hospital Wrexham and the Royal Hospital in Liverpool. Born in the Carmarthenshire village of Glanaman in 1948, Davis was a relatively late starter in the professional game as he focused on college work before joining Swansea in 1969. The FA Wales statement that was issued said, the FAW are saddened to hear about the passing of former Wales goalkeeper Di Davies. The thoughts of everyone at the FAW are with Di's family and friends. He made his Swansea debut at the age of 22 in 1970, was signed by Everton for £40,000, having played only a handful of games for the South Wales club. The jump from third division football to the top end of the highest division, Everton were league champions at the time, was significant. With Davies admitting he found it initially hard to adjust to life at Goodison Park. Nevertheless, he would spend seven years there as an Everton player. He made 82 appearances for them, many of which came in the 74-75 season when they pushed hard for the title. Davies, who'd returned to Swansea on loan in 74, left Everton on a permanent basis for Wrexham in 77. He then helped the club to third division title success in his first season before joining Swansea for a third time in 1981. The return to Wales meant a return to first division football. He racked up another 71 top flight appearances then moved to Tranmere Rovers before making his final Football League appearance for the Wirral Club in 1983-84. His last Wales appearance came in 1982. He missed only six of Wales' 58 matches during that seven-year spell. He was part of the Wales side that beat England 1-0 at Wembley in 77 and the team who famously thrashed their nearest neighbours 4-1 at Wrexham four years earlier. He retired with more than 350 league appearances to his name. Uh, former Wales manager John Toshak, who played with him, said... Di, in my opinion, was a very good goalkeeper, more than what he's given credit for. Yeah, it sounds like he was an absolutely fantastic foot. I wasn't lucky enough to know anything about him, Michael, to see him play, unfortunately enough. But um, seems to have had an absolutely fantastic career. And um, obviously, yeah. sadly, missed by a lot of a lot of people. And another legend in the game, he's passed away very sadly. So, rest sure, in peace, Di Davies. All, all, all I would say is, you know, I echo the sentiments that you've said very nicely, Dom, mate. Um, but what, what I would say is, I mean, I, I remember Day Davis because I, you know, football-wise, that was kind of my first season, 74, 75. Because um, my first cup final that I watched as a kid was the 74 cup final, like like I said about Ray Clements. But Day Davis at the time was at Everton. You know, he play, as you said, he played a season there. 
Um, but I, I'll probably remember him more for his stint at Wrexham and his second stint or third stint even. It might have been at Swansea. Because um, Re- Wrexham, the race course ground was always a difficult place to go anyway. Um, and, you know, trying to take on sort of the idea of his very imposing goalkeeper, you know, difficult to beat. But he's probably he's probably best remembered, even though you know the Everton stint was 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 significant, and obviously he did win the title, the third division title while at Wrexham. But he's probably best remembered for his stint with Swansea, because obviously Swansea had come back into the first division under John Toshak, and you know they the ran really really close to actually winning the title. That that season, I mean, he was a teammate with you know the well-known former Saint Alan Curtis, um, and uh, yeah, I mean he he had a really really good seat, you know, because you would say you know he was in the in the twilight of his career really, but the experience and the fact that you know the push for the league title that particular season, you know. Um, as I, as I say, no doubt Davis was probably one of the the best keepers around. Um, and also, you know, you might look at the caps, you might think 52 caps, that isn't a lot. But this is in a time when there wasn't a lot of international matches yeah. played. You know, the thing is, is you were more likely to get more caps sort of playing the British Home Championships than you were, you yeah. know, for the likes of... These days, there's a lot more friendlies played. In those days, you didn't get loads of friendlies. You know, you got World Cup qualifiers, you know, and unfortunately, Wales at that time were never good enough to get the, a World Cup or a Euro. So, yep. you know, he, he wasn't going really to add in that sense. The other thing I wanted to mention to him is, is he was a very well-respected sort of summariser on the football because obviously being bilingual, you know, he did a lot for um, SC4, which is the Welsh channel. Yeah. And obviously, you know, he he did a lot of the summarising in the Welsh language as well as English. So, yeah, as I would say, you know, rest in peace, Dave Davies. Yeah. yeah, and condolences to your family and friends and everyone in you. Right, at that point, that brings us to the end of that section of the show. So we're going to take a very short break. And when we come back, we'll be doing Saints Transfer Gossip. Fiesta 95FM, the Two Saints Show. Right, welcome back, everybody. So Saints Transfer Gossip. Uh, Ahmed Musa. Southampton have been linked with Ahmed Musa along with a host of other clubs. So according to the Daily Mail, Southampton could move to sign free agent Ahmed Musa as West Bromwich Albion struggled to get a deal over the line. He's 28 years old and was on the verge of completing a move to the Hawthorns. There's your first one. Southampton and Everton target allegedly tells club he wants to go free agent in July. This is Vincent Angelini has told Celtic he'll leave the club during the summer transfer window when his contract expires. He's been linked with Saints. Um, has the exodus begun at Celtic? We don't know. We probably won't get into that because it doesn't really relate to Saints. Um, Jose Simunovic has wanted by Southampton. He's actually a free agent at the moment. He has got options and it, we're led to believe that Southampton is one of them possibly. <clears throat> Moving on to the next one, Southampton striker Danny Ings 
on is on a five-man West Ham shortlist to replace Sebastian Haller. Well, we don't see him going to West Ham, but you never know. Don't rule anything out. And also, Man City are allegedly monitoring the situation with Danny Ings as well, Mark. So those are your transfer gossip new articles for Saints. Away you go. So basically, the first one, um, 28 years of age, uh, West Brom's interested. I've, mate, at the end of the day, I don't see it happening. Um, nope. I, don't, I don't see any interest whatsoever from Saints. Um, moving on to the next target, the lad from um, uh, Celtic. Um, what I would what I would say there is that because he's Italian, is he not more likely to go to Everton? Yep. If the you know Ancelotti connection, um, and and again, I don't think he's somebody that that's on our radar. No. Savinovic, it's a different one. He, he has been on Saints radar. I read this with real surprise that he that he he's on a free. You know, yeah. obviously he's left Celtic. Um, Get him in. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, is <laughs> if we could do a deal where Jack Stevens leaves in the summer and bring him in, on a could you swap deal? You know, could you swap deal. <laughs> Yeah, but he's not worth a club, so we can't. Well, sorry, you can have, they can have Jack for free. We give him away. But Savinovic, so, so yeah, in the past we've been interested. Obviously, there's a possibility that while he's still a free and yep. free agent, that we may well be interested. So that's one that's possible. The yep. the Danny Ings thing. I mean, this is just getting out of control. I mean, I mean, you know, starts off at. City, yeah. Um, yes, possibly City. West Ham, unlikely. I would have thought, unless they're in the Champions League places. It's a, you know, I, I, I treat West Ham and Tottenham with the same sort of disdain. I mean, why would he yep. go there? But the thing is, Mark, as well, Ralph Hasenut was now recently said. <laughs> this is getting silly now. Now recently said that the club is still talking to Danny Ings. So yeah, you no, I've, I've seen that. I've seen that, but I just. The thing is, is is it too late in the day now, Mark? You know, the thing is, is we're in February. Yep. You know, and effectively, in the summer, come June time, already can't talk to anybody to the January. But the club, you know, the club are going to still be looking at that situation and saying, if he hasn't signed in the summer, we're selling. You know, that's the long and the short of it. But anyway, let's move on from that. So previewing the Wolves game in the league. Absolutely. And last time out in the league, Wolves actually beat Saints with Raul Jimenez scoring two goals in in an inspired comeback. Yeah, it was one of those Wolves played really well in the second half kind of games that we all knew was coming. Unfortunately, (laughs) it didn't pan out. But yeah, um, Wolves recovered from 2-0 down to end a five-match winless run. So yeah, Saints definitely threw that one away. Let's hopefully they won't be a repeat of this, Mark. Um, obviously, we've just beat them in the cup. Although, to be fair, it was a weakened Wolves team. Yeah. I'm, I'm still sort of semi-confident we can get something against them. But I do think it depends on personnel. If we yeah. put out the strongest team possible, we've got every chance of getting a result. Look, I mean, we, we spoke about this briefly off air. I said I'd, yep. I'd start with Fraser. You know, Kyle Walker, Peters, um, Bertram, the fullbacks, Vestergaard. And Badnarak in the middle. If Vestergaard isn't available, you yep. play Salasu. Um, 
uh, and then in the midfield go Milamino, Armstrong, uh, Ward Prowse and Romeo. Yep, and then up to up top Adams and Adams and Ings. And I'm hundred percent with you on that line hundred percent. And I actually think I'm actually gonna say one nil to Saints. <laughs> I've told his son again. He's going to say one 0 now as well. I tell, I tell you what, I'm <laughs> going to go. I'm going to go three 0 Saints. Oh, that's a big one. Yeah, I think we've got every opportunity to get in it. Um, James Wall Prowse in good form. Stuart Armstrong had a great game, obviously against Wolves, and the team looked up for it. So, you know, Danny Ings back on the goal trail. So, I think it's it's all pointing to a win. So one 0 for me. It's a, it's a strange one because last night, Mark, I was sat there, right, Ralph. I think it was about 10 minutes to go. Ralph subs Danny Ings, and I'm going, How can you take him off the pitch? He's been all <laughs> over the park. You know, the, the old Danny, I've got to say this as well, you know, without giving too much away, and we're doing the review yeah. next week. But Danny Ings was all over, you know, it was the old Danny Ings because he was all over the park last night, you know, working from back to front and front to back, you know. Um, but I was sat there going, no, don't take him off now. And then Shay Shay Adams come on and I thought, if we lose this now, you know, even if they score an equaliser, because obviously Stuart didn't score till more or less the last kick of the game. And I'm sat there going, if Wolves score now, we're going to go in the extra time. Danny Ings is off the pitch. He can't even take a penalty if it goes to the pitch. You know, all these things going through my head. So I was relieved to see the goal go in, but... The thing is, is yeah, I mean, he, he did the right thing taking him off, to be fair, because after the game, I was sat there going, well done, Ralph, good play. Yep. Anyway, so yeah, anyway, 3-0 for Mark and 1-0 for me. So, thank you for joining myself and Mark H today on the Two Saints podcast show. It's goodbye from me. Uh, it's goodbye from me. Uh, everybody, take care of each other, look after one another. Thanks for listening, and hopefully see you listening to us next week. Just to remind you all, you can contact us via our email address, the Two Saints Podcast Show at Outlook.com, for questions or items you'd like to hear in future shows. You can listen to the radio show on Fiesta 95FM in Southampton and via onlineradiobox.com. Also, the Two Saints Podcast Show is now available via Spotify, Overcast, Acast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Deezer, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music and Podbean or via our Facebook page The Two Saints Show and our YouTube channel The Two Saints Podcast Show. Right, there we go. So all that's left for me to say is please join us again next week when The Two Saints go marching in again. Goodbye. Goodbye.